I'm Dr. Gene Hansen. For more than 25 years, I've been answering your financial questions on Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. This is Money Talks, providing honest, straightforward answers to your financial questions. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired on Saturday, February 11, 2017. Welcome. This is Money Talks. Good morning, good morning. You're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running, most respected money show on the radio. I'm Troy Harmon, here today with Casey Smith and Jarrett McKenzie. Both uh, hold the CFP designation. Jarrett, you got an add-on, too, right? Some, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Gotta, what is that? It's a CWS, a Certified CWS. Well Strategist, yeah. Right. Is, is it anything yeah. like CBS? Ah, uh, not quite. No, not okay. Quite. It's it's not a drugstore. You are not a pharmacist. <laughs> no, I'm no, you are nowhere a CWS. close. Certified uh, wealth strategist. That's right. At least there that's not his primary job. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Yeah. So you're moonlighting. Exactly. Right. <laughs> the, the company's going to be interested to know that and to have found out in such a strange yeah. manner. Got to make a new filing now. Uh, that's our OBA. Oh. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought maybe KC had something to do about the the over oversight of you anyway so uh yeah, well you know i know troy you just you just busted me so out so i'll get them both kind of is that the way it is <laughs> <laughs> right, all right on. guys uh in all seriousness uh two guys from our planning and implementation department these guys are uh, uh financial planners can help you answer questions about your future your future in finance your financial future however you want to say it um uh so guys markets uh did all right this week, huh? Yeah, yeah especially today. Yeah. Surprising how big of a jump we had today. Yeah, uh, today, as you say, is uh, Thursday. We re- we uh, pre-record the show Thursdays for your listening pleasure on Saturday morning. Hopefully, uh, uh, the the weatherman was right and everybody's sitting around enjoying some sunshine and what seventy degrees, something like that. It'll be yeah. It's, what the, it's definitely not 70 today. It is not. I wasn't no, expecting that. I tell you what, uh, and we're starting to see some folks get sick. I think the, the vacillation in the temperature is probably not helping. Tell yeah. you what, I've got a little bit of a scratchy throat, so I apologize for the... Yeah. Yeah, I think we all got a little bit of it. Don't get over close to me. Thanks. You're welcome. Uh, S&P 500 year-to-date is up. Uh, well, this is not year-to-date. They're giving us weird numbers. Uh, that is going to be... Year to date, 3.36%. Yeah. Uh, information technology leading the way at 7.27. Technology actually sold off pretty big after the elections. Yeah. Uh, one of the few sectors that did so, um, you know, we did see utilities. Some of the other rate sensitive, interest rate sensitive uh, sectors actually lulled a little bit, but nothing like technology right after the election. Make your own decision as to why that might have happened. But it looks like tech is catching up now. Making a comeback for sure. Absolutely. We do have two sectors that are negative on the year. Um, Telecom's down 3.8. Telecom was one of the big winners in 2016. Along with energy, which is the other. Energy is our other laggard. 4.6%, a slight loss in the year. I say slight. That's about half a year's uh, return on the normal S&P 500, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Energy, since like mid-2014, has kind of... uh, 
uh, gone its own way. OPEC truly has, and, and more specifically, Saudi Arabia has had a, an impact on the price of oil, and uh, they continue to do just exactly that. Uh, financials that had uh, a great December and November uh, are off to a, about a 2% start on the year. Yeah. Um, utilities that had lagged uh, so badly are still behind the market, but uh, positive 0.71%. And some of those, uh, you know, we'll get into this uh, as we go along, but uh, interest rates are actually declining. Yeah. What's up with that? Yeah, a little bit strange. Uh, this week we saw uh, pretty significant declines on the long end of the yield curve. Uh, <clears throat> I say pretty significant. In a week's time to lose 10 basis points or 0.1% is uh, pretty significant, and I think we did that both at the 10 and the 30-year. Yeah. Was that commensurate with short-term? Did you do a comparison at all? Have you seen yeah, no, it, it, they two-year fell. rates were down about 4.8 yeah. basis points? So, um, but, yeah, I was going to ask you about that, Troy, if there was any kind of sign that it might be flattening a little bit yeah um, exactly and that's what we're seeing and i think it's really just a pullback from what we saw you know right after the election right um we're still looking probably into june options are implying that we're going to have another interest rate cut or interest rate increase sorry right. uh and then probably another sometime in september the uh, fed told us back in december when we did get an interest rate increase uh, that they would expect three more in 2017. The market doesn't reflect that right now. They were expecting four during 2016, though. They absolutely they? were, and we got, got one. one. Yeah, one in December and one the previous December. So we've had two rate increases over the last decade. Is that right? Well, a yeah. whopping 50 basis points oh, or something? Oh, yeah. yeah so is this recent development then, you think, going to have any impact on what the expectations are for this year? Well, I think what you see is, is short-term expectations. We, um, you know, it seems like... Uh, uh, the administration, who the market thought was going to come out guns a-blazing, they've done that to some degree, but they're getting a little bit of pushback, and uh, and the markets, the market rally. If you listen to the newspaper, and you know we try not to do too much timing, but the market rally is tired, says some. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, honestly, I think I think we just have to sit back and watch what's going what's going on in the market. Right. Watch what's going on. But I, it, this is one of those situations I prefer uh, personally to read the paper, read the news, and see more about financial markets. It seems like even in the financial pages, it's all about politics right now. Yeah. So um, politics is important. Um, I Going into the election, I really didn't think it was going to be as important as it has become. Uh, honest with you, uh, I thought uh, we were going to see President Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't take that the wrong way. Well, I'm as not a lot saying of people I did. wished it. I'm, yeah. I'm saying I expected it. Yeah, That's sure. All. I think most people did, and, right. and we saw that, how the market reacted to that on the eve of the election. Right. Yeah. The, well, day, the, the well, day of the election. Day of the election, the market, the market declined dropped, significantly. Yeah, about a thousand points in the futures, and then came back and opened pretty flat, and, and finished the day up a couple hundred points. Exactly. I think, so. Right. Yeah. So, and since then, you know, we've had more or less positive markets. I think. Right. Uh, I think we still have a, a very good chance of. Uh, lowering regulation and, and those sorts of things. And well, and so some of that political, uh, you know, commentary and things you see in the newspaper, all of that is such short, so short-sighted when, in reality, the markets are going to trade over a long term based on the earnings of the companies and their ability to, to sell their products and grow their earnings over time, right? Absolutely. And speaking of earnings. Yeah. We are, in the middle of, we are in the middle of earnings season. The S&P 500 has had uh, 345 of the 500 companies report so far. Uh, sales surprise is a positive 
0.23%. It's pretty muted. Uh, earnings surprise, 3.5%. Um, the big negative, uh, there's a couple of them, telecommunications, so it doesn't really make, uh, it's not really too confusing as to why telecom might be down uh, year to date. Uh, the big positive, it looks like to me, here we go, um, financials. Yep. So uh, financials are, are uh, have a 5.6% earnings surprise positive. Um, as far as sales growth, which also impacts uh, the bottom line or the the, uh, the price of a stock anyway, um, we've got a big negative here. we got energy, negative 10.12. So, uh, again, energy was another of those uh, that was down. So on year-over-year basis, earnings growth of negative 10%. Uh, big winner, utilities, positive 17.87, uh, still kind of disappointing in return. Uh, healthcare, which has gotten a little bit of love but not a whole lot, uh, is um, looking like, uh, where did that go? I think 3.47% uh, uh, positive financials. 11.8% positive. So all things considered, uh, the, the rate increase probably hurt, uh, helped rather the fourth quarter for financials. Right. But it didn't significantly hurt operations and utilities. At the same time, we see utilities uh, not, not doing much. Right. We're below 1% on the positive side. Uh, we've got a few things we probably ought to talk about with uh, economics. Employment situation we came, uh, got uh, last Friday. Uh, this was for January. Uh, payrolls increased 227,000, uh, created more jobs in, uh, in January. I think the president tweeted on that. If you guys are following him on Twitter, you probably <laughs> got a whole lot more time on your hands than I do because I, I, I see it in the news. I don't see yeah. every tweet that's posted. Is he on Twitter? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, Jerry, you're scaring me, buddy. I'm just kidding. Uh, Unemployment rate increased. He needs now, to stay off of Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> I know, exactly. I could uh, vote for that. Yeah. Um, so uh, total payrolls, in order to keep up with uh, with population growth, uh, it's said we need around 125 to 127,000 jobs per month to be added. Uh, we got 227, so it was better than needed. And at the same time, we got unemployment rate that actually increased. Now, how do we wind up there? Yeah, that's got to be just an increase in the... What they call the labor participation rate. Absolutely, right? yep. Uh, ISM non-manufacturing index, which is a fancy way to say the services index, uh, came in relatively flat. The index was at 56.5 in January, uh, slightly lower versus a 56.6 in December, which was revised uh, slightly. In so the, explain that. Explain that measure to me, Troy. Is that anything above 50 is is, is expansionary? Is yes. expansion okay. absolutely. So uh, we've been we've been a, above 50 and relatively stable in that measure for for a pretty good while now. Yeah, absolutely. We surely have uh, MBA mortgage applications on the uh, lowered interest rates that we talked about a little bit earlier. Actually bounced higher, 2.3%. The refinance index was up 2.2. Purchase index, we're still buying houses at 1.8%. Uh, we also saw international trade uh, soft. What do you expect doing that? The Strong dollar. dollar. Yeah. Absolutely. It has a huge impact. So um, all things considered, economy's not doing too bad. Uh, we're bouncing along. Market's doing well. Let's take a quick break, guys. And uh, we'll come right back with some questions from listeners.
dog of the week this week. It's really uh, more of a, uh, it's a different animal. You'll see what I'm going. Uh, let me, uh, this is actually really a more of a, for what it's worth moment here. Uh, Flaming Hot Cheetos normally run about uh, 250 a bag for eight ounces. Uh, if you assume there's a hundred individual Cheetos in the bag, it brings the cost of each Cheeto to about two and a half cents. Right? Is okay. my math good? You're good. Yeah. Uh, this week, eBay brought us another episode of uh, the crazy internet. I talk about the crazy internet quite a bit. A single Cheeto fetched $99,700. You guys know what I'm talking about? Now who touched no. that? Yeah. I've not yeah. heard that, but All somebody. All right, so uh, somebody opened a bag of fire Cheeto, Cheetos, I think they were, yeah. Flaming hot Cheetos. And Those in the bag. Good, the they really are. In the bag was a Cheeto that resembled Harambe. <laughs> Harambe, <laughs> the Cheeto, has sold for $99,700 Get out of here. on eBay. Uh, they've got a picture. I mean, you go, if, you know, we'll drive a little traffic to eBay. Uh, you probably don't have to go that far. Just, you know, hook it up in your, your uh, Google Harambe Cheeto, and you'll, uh, mm -hmm. you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. So back in uh, May of 2016, the Cincinnati Zoo had to shoot their... Gorilla, their western lowland gorilla, Harambe, because a child wandered into the habitat and uh, Harambe had a hold of, of the child. They uh, made a decision. There's been a lot said. If you hadn't ever heard of Harambe, you can quit listening right now. Harambe's been around a while, right? Yeah, that's right. That's Very popular. Uh, so uh, why do I bring this up? Uh, obviously, it's a strange story. Who's going to pay 99700 bucks for a single Cheeto? Uh, one of the functions that I have here is uh, at Hensler Financial is, is I value closely held businesses. And one of the first things that I see when I go out and talk to a potential client who wants to have a, a valuation done on their business is, well, what, uh, what multiple do you think I ought to use? Well, when I look back and, I, you know, you, we, we buy databases, we can see transactions from previous um, business transactions, sales, the value. Uh, we look at the revenues. You can, right. you can create a multiple that might be real, you know, something they could realize in the market. We try to, to uh, value those businesses if you're using a multiple relative to other businesses in a similar yeah. industry with Pierce. a similar, yeah. yeah, with a similar size yeah. in revenue. But there's Comps. not a whole lot of data that, that supports it. So I always ask them the same thing. So is your business average or is it above average? Or are we just talking about the average business? If you use the average Cheeto at two and a half cents, right. you know, you're going to get one multiple. If you use the Harambe Cheeto, do you have a Harambe <laughs> business or yeah. do you have the average? That's the question you need to incorporate into your uh, You're absolutely your right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, shameless plug. If you got a business, you need a value on it, you can uh, – Give me a call, but at the same time... Troy will uh, give you a Harambe value. I, I will <laughs> not unless it is warranted. <laughs> if it is warranted. But, that, I mean, it, it does make the point. So uh, a multiple is not a multiple is not a multiple. They don't all apply to the same situation. If you've got a business that's been in... Uh, been around for the last 30 years, and revenue doesn't grow much better than, than uh, inflation year over year over year, then... You know, you probably have a business that you could value with a multiple, the average, but you don't get a lot of data in those databases that show you how much growth has been 
you know, year over year in your revenues or either in your, your earnings? Is it profitable? How profitable is the business? Yeah, in order to sure. do that, you really got to dig deeper. So there's how Harambe and the Cheeto ties into business valuation. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, though, with the, going back to the Cheeto. Okay. What, what does the whoever purchased the Cheeto for such a high valuation, what do they intend to do with it? I mean, do they think wash it degrade? Do they think they can resell <laughs> it? Well, and make flour. Casey, mean, honestly, you probably heard the the uh, um, the Mother Mary on the cheese sandwich. You've yes. seen you've seen yeah. the photo, seen, the yeah. picture, the image. I, they keep those things around as a as a museum piece. Yeah. Uh, will it get you any cash flow? Um, I not for me, but I guess maybe. in a pinch you could eat it. I, I mm-hmm. mean, it's not going to sustain you very long. Not even very if long. It, I mean, probably you could spend $99,700 <laughs> better and be sustained for a longer for a period longer, of time yeah. than you would with one Cheeto. So, again, you know, this valuation thing, I guess uh, the bigger fool theory is what always that's, works, absolutely. right? Absolutely. You find somebody that's a bigger fool than you it's to pay hard, a bigger price It's going to be hard to beat you. the guy that bought the Harambe Cheeto. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Show <laughs> us a bigger fool. We want to see this yes. guy. Yes. Absolutely. Anyway, so, uh, guys, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, we answer questions. We answer financial questions on this show. And uh, we just rolled out something new. Uh, I think we talked about it last time I was on, at least. Uh, and uh, this week, we actually have a question uh, in this manner. So let me, let me explain the service. If uh, you would like to have your question put on the air, you can give us a call at 1-855-429-9166. You leave your question uh, on our voicemail. We take that voicemail. Uh, if you ooh and on uh, like I do, you're probably going to get it cleaned up a little bit. And then we'll replay your question and answer it on Money Talks next week. Uh, you can always email us as well, drgene at hensler.com. Hensler is spelled H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. Uh, but if you're in your car or, you know, uh, don't want to bother with the email, give a question, give, uh, give a call to that one eight five five four two nine nine one six six. Leave your question uh, and we will play it. So we actually have one this week. And, guys, if y'all are ready for this, here we go. Got uh, Ginger, opinions on HSAs. Hi, um, my name's Ginger. Um, I wanted to go ahead and get your opinion on HSAs. I'm covered by a high-deductible plan at work, and we have the option to put money in a flex spending account, but it's not mandatory for our insurance. And from what I can tell, I'm eligible to open an HSA. So I wanted to kind of get your opinions on that. Thanks so much. So there you have it. Question for our financial planner. Absolutely. And thanks to Ginger for calling in and leaving that question. That's a very good question. Um, Jarrett, what do you you think about that? Yeah, the the HSAs in general, I mean, clearly are, are an option in some of the health plans through your employer. Not all are eligible for an HSA, but some are. And, and generally the way that I view them is, you know, if – if you have consistently, you know, say, regular year-to-year expenses, medical expenses, that is, and you can plan for there being those those continued expenses, then if you're eligible for one of these, I would say it's certainly worthwhile to contribute, but specifically for that purpose. I know some of these plans have an option to invest the money that is within the HSA, and so if that's 
if that's any of your intent, I would say there, there's a better vehicle in order to accomplish that with the other types of retirement accounts and so forth. But uh, with regard to the HSA itself, I mean, that should, in my mind, relate specifically to the medical expenses. And, again, it's, it's certainly worthwhile if you're eligible to contribute to one so that you can get the benefit of having that account uh, when you also have medical expenses. Absolutely. I mean, I think the HSA is a, is a good option. Right. Uh, you it, guys it, are throwing this HSA around. What does that stand I'm sorry. For? Health savings account. Oh, okay. So oh, I, I had to play the, the guy that bought the, yeah. the Harambe <laughs> Cheeto. Right, exactly. <laughs> you yeah, well, Ginger clearly knows what it is, but you're right. The audience may not be as familiar with it, and so maybe that's a, a good place to. Yeah, that's, we should have started with that, but thanks for, for straightening this out there. All Trey. right, thank you. Um, <laughs> you're, you're good. <laughs> We, uh, you know, as Jarrett was saying, it, it is, there are some benefits to the HSA, which is, uh, you know, the money that you put into the plan, into the HSA account, uh, can grow tax deferred, like an IRA, and it's actually yeah. tax free if you use the funds to pay for qualified medical expenses. Right. So it's sort of like a 529 plan for education. It's just the, the health a health savings version of that. Right. And you um, have to buy a special insurance plan as well, right? You have to, you have, in order to qualify, you have to be covered under what the, what they call a high deductible health plan. Right. Um, now, high deductible is a relative term. I think most of us would consider the limits pretty low. Achievable. <laughs> pretty <Yeah>. achievable. <laughs> the, the annual deductible um, to qualify for a high deductible plan is at least 1300 for individual and 2600 for family coverage. So those are not, you know, outrageously high. I would think that that's a pretty reasonable level of deductible to, to be able to qualify for the plan. But in, in terms of whether or not you should contribute to it, I mean, I think it is a good it is a good option. Um, to Jarrett's point, you should think of it sort of like a 529. We wouldn't necessarily recommend putting money in there unless you expect to use it for medical expenses because there might be a better right. uh, vehicle for it. Well, and, w- and what the hope is w- in having the HSA is that you're not taking after-tax dollars, ones in which you've already paid tax on, and then using those unexpectedly to have to pay for medical expense. Again, if you, let's say, you know, you and your wife are, are, or, or you and your husband are planning for a child or something like that, and you know there are ones coming up, if your plan is eligible for an HSA and you can foresee medical expenses, don't not participate in those plans and then allow yourself to, to use after-tax dollars towards medical expenses when you could have gotten the benefit that Casey mentioned earlier of using tax-deferred dollars or, or non-tax dollars yeah, towards that, that same thing. Yeah, if you can get a, a discount on your medical expenses just by using tax, you know, using taking advantage of this type of plan and using those tax pre-tax dollars, then that's going right. to be a, I mean, it's a savings to you. You save, you know, depending on what you're marginal bracket is, you know, 25 to maybe 50 cents on the dollar, yeah. depending so on if you're in the highest bracket. Ginger, I would say this. If you're eligible, certainly do that. If you think you're going to have some medical expenses, it would be to your benefit to do so. Uh, just make sure you're eligible and uh, keep an eye on those medical expenses. All right, guys, we're going to take a real quick break. We'll be right back with some more listener questions. Stick around. You're listening to Money Talks. Troy Harmon with Hensler Financial, also here with uh, Casey Smith and Jarrett McKenzie. Guys, we have a question from our long-term listener, good friend, 
Bill Murray. Uh, he says, for well over a decade, the Vanguard Healthcare Funds have outpaced the S&P 500, and they're not alone. Just about anything in healthcare has uh, done quite well for a little while. Uh, do you think that will continue? Uh, which would you prefer for the next five years, the Vanguard Health Index or the Vanguard Managed Healthcare Fund? Uh, under President Trump, the drug producers might be pressured to lower prices while hospitals might see increased uh, prosperity. Uh, is it time for a managed fund? Or will there be little difference in the long run? Well, uh, to be honest with you, Bill, there's been really little difference between the two types that you talked about uh, for, for quite some time. In fact, um, if you look back around mid-2012 is where we started seeing uh, the, the outperformance of the healthcare sector, and it, it coincides with uh, when the Supreme Court actually uh, said it was legal for us to have the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, whatever you care to call it. Uh, if you look over the last 10 years, the returns um, on both of those funds are, are slightly over 10%. Uh, VGHAX, which is um, the uh, the managed health care fund, is, is up about 10.5%. The S&P over the same time period is about 7%. So absolutely, they have outperformed. A huge portion of that is because uh, of regulation that forced people on the uh, on the rolls of health care. Uh, you saw an increase in revenues. You're going to see an increase in earnings. Uh, I and, and Dr. Gene talked about this a good bit back when that was going on. Right. Uh, you know, he he uh, said that he would avoid it because sooner or later the profit's going to be squeezed out of these companies. And and I agree with you. That's probably what's going on uh, as we go forward. Uh, mm -hmm. especially with the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, I think it's really more of a secular thing. So uh, in rebuilding Obamacare to make it whatever you want to call it, Trump care, Republican care, I don't care. <laughs> How about that? Uh, anyway, what, what I really think you might see is fewer people on the health care rolls at the same time that they're trying to squeeze some profit out of the system. So, if you ask me, I'm saying that um, I, I don't know that I would overweight health care at this moment anyway. And, you know, this this kind of launches into one of those situations. We've got, uh, uh, you know, you're using a, a sector, kind of a passive strategy to get exposure to an area that, uh, that, that you believe is going to outperform. Uh, there's a whole lot of uh, work out there right now that would tell you that passive strategies are better. They, they leave it kind of half-baked, though. Mm -hmm. What they're saying is there is no selection within the sector. They're just right. going to buy everything at a certain weight that somebody has created an index to, to look at. Right. Um, in the end, the thing that, uh, that we're talking about right now is the fact that, well, should you even be overexposed to that space? So while they do away with the selection piece of it, uh, where nobody cares which of the individual stocks you own, the, the weighting or the allocation mm -hmm. in your portfolio is still very active. So yeah. if you ask me, it's, it's very hard. In, in fact, I think it's impossible to have an investment portfolio without some active decision-making no matter what you do. Absolutely. Yeah, and then the, the situation that you're describing is, you know, you wouldn't want to just own a healthcare fund, whether that be an, an active, actively managed portfolio of healthcare only healthcare stocks 
or a passively managed strategy where you're following an index. Right. You don't you get wanna, diversified. You don't get any kind of diversification. Right. Absolutely. And so if, if the healthcare does decline, yes, it's outperformed over the past decade, but um, that's nothing to say that that's going to continue. So you need to have some diversification regardless. Um, and you know, while we're kind of on that topic, I guess mm. that you know begs the question of of as Troy alluded to, there is a lot in the media these days, especially since we've been in a, basically an up market since 2009. Right. Um, you know, is an actively managed strategy actually better than a passive strategy? Right. And, you know, it's a valid question, especially in an up market. It, it, it's harder to justify an actively managed strategy if you're just looking at pure return. Right. You know, what is the the return relative to an index? I mean, obviously, if you're in a passive strategy, you're going to get the index return. Right. And an actively managed strategy, one of the one of the benefits, in our opinion, of an actively managed strategy is that you're not only managing uh, to to try to achieve a, a rate of return that's acceptable or or needed to meet your financial needs, but it's also managing the risk of that. Absolutely. Of that return and how much risk do you actually have to take to go out and achieve the return that you're hoping to, to get. Exactly. Right? If you ever hear somebody talk about beta in their portfolio, what mm. they're talking about is is how their portfolio uh, returns act relative to the S&P 500 yeah. or the market. And when you have a beta of one, then it's going to act exactly like it. This is more or less a passive strategy, right. right? So what you see more often than not with an active strategy is a beta that's less than one, meaning, yes, as the market goes up, you're going to go up less. If a market, Say in our case, you know, a beta of 0.9, if the market's up 1%, we would be up 0.9% yep. in, in, yeah. on a given day. But uh, – that's, that that's works where on, you're the, showing. on the reverse of absolutely. that as well. Absolutely. Right. So a beta of 0.9, to your point, Casey, is absolutely actively managing the risk. Now, like you said, on the downside, uh, market goes down 1%. Active management generally tends to outperform right. when the market is, is uh, getting volatile and right. starting to sell off. And, I mean, how many studies do we have to see? Human beings are risk-averse. Yeah, yeah. And when you're risk averse, you want to make sure that you're, you know, generally what they'll do is they couch a question in two different ways. Uh, mm -hmm. The return on average, the weighted average return of the two uh, different strategies would be the same. The one that has the potential for the biggest loss, human beings generally avoid. Yeah. Except in this case. Right. <laughs> well, and, and if you think passive. about it, I mean, over a long period of time, you should end up better off uh, pursuing a strategy where you're taking a little bit less risk. Uh, just because if you think about how that works mechanically and the, the analogy we always use for clients is that uh, think about if you've got $100, $100 and you lose 50%, you've lost 50 bucks. you got to right. make 100% to get back to where you started. Double your money. Yeah, absolutely. You double your money. Right. If you only lost half of that, if you lost 25%, you would have lost $25. You only have to make 33% to get back to where you started. Yeah. So the fact that you're not having to play as much catch-up over a long period of time, if you assume that there are market declines, which we have to assume that there right. will be. History has shown us that we have quite <laughs> it, a few market It allows declines. you to get back to making money faster, yeah, right? I mean, exactly. instead of trying to play catch-up and just make up for what you lost, now you can get back to actually making something. And so to that point, I would say to Bill Murray, 
look, the, the managed health care fund, assuming there is some active management to, you know, what we're talking about here, that to me would seem like a better option if you're saying is the Vanguard Health Index or the Vanguard Managed Health Care Fund be a better option. To us, the management would be a better option because th- there is going to be some of this risk adjustment uh, accounted for, presumably, in that actively managed fund versus the passive managed fund. And while the passively managed fund may seem, or the index fund in this case, may seem like it's not quite as risky, uh, to some degree it is. I mean, if you think about it, as, as the stock price for a company rises, its market cap also rises, which means its, it's weighting in the index is going to rise with it. Yeah, if you right? think about how an index works, it, it, most most of these index indexes, indices. 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 Wow. Um, all right. <laughs> Got my, my SAT hat on. Yeah, that's right. That? <laughs> um, I thought you looked different. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, most of these indices, are, like the S&P 500, for example, is, is market cap weighted. What, what does that mean? It means that, you know, market capitalization is just the the stock price times the number of shares outstanding. So mm-hmm. if the right. price goes up, you know, and the, the number of shares outstanding doesn't change, the, the the weighting of that stock in the index is going to be greater. Right. So if you're following a passive strategy and, and buying that index, then the manager of that index fund has to buy more of the company that is increasing in market cap. So sure. think, of, think of Apple in the S&P 500. It's like 4% roughly of, of the S&P. Every time Apple goes up in price, the, the managers of that index fund have to go out and buy more Apple. Well, in theory, they're buying it when it's at, much a, at a higher expensive. value. It's much more expensive yep. relative yeah. to the companies that are maybe cheaper relative to their, you know, whatever ratio you want to compare them to. Right. So you're effectively doing the opposite of what you should be doing, which is, you know, you're buying, you're mm-hmm. buying high and selling low. Right. The opposite versus what right. you should be doing, which is buying low and selling high. Right. Uh, there's other issues too. We at Hensler Financial actually prefer to uh, go with high quality companies. Yep. If you look at the S&P 500, it's made up of a little bit of good, a little bit of not so good. Uh, the way that we determine what's high quality, actually, we look at. Uh, uh, the the level of debt that's taken on by a company, uh, the the predictability of earnings, uh, backing up to that debt question, you know, is it a debt? Even if it's high, is it a debt that their earnings have proven can be uh, serviced, right. you know, with ease? So what we try to do is avoid um, financial. Uh, I guess, destruction mm-hmm. in, in the form of bankruptcy. We try to sure. always avoid that. Obviously, you know, that doesn't happen overnight. But um, when uh, when you buy the index as a whole, you're buying mm-hmm. the good and the bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that's another one of those things. As an as an active manager, we actually try to, to uh, deal with. Yeah. Guys, I think we ought to probably take a quick break right here. Let's uh, come back to the subject when we get back. You're listening to Money Talks. Don't touch that dial. There's a little Lenny Kravitz. Are you going to go my way? You're (laughs) listening to Money Talks. I'm Troy Harmon here with Casey Smith and Jarrett McKenzie. Uh, Guys, we've been talking about passive versus active management. Our good friend Bill Murray got us kind of on the subject, uh, and we've already covered a couple of of major issues going with a passive strategy. Uh, When you uh, invest in a passive manner, you wind up participating in the buy high, sell low kind of mentality, which is just totally backwards from what an investor would like to do, as well as, you know, 
as I pointed out before, you buy both the good and the bad. So you buy the high quality, but you temper it with the low quality as well, mm-hmm. uh, which gets again to your point, KC, about a risk-adjusted return and really what we probably ought to be measuring ourselves by. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, what kind of got us on this subject other than it was spurred on by our good friend Bill Murray's question uh, was a, an article that we ran across um, from Proactive Advisor magazine. Uh, this is by a gentleman by the name of Dave Walton, who is a, uh, a, a manager, a hedge fund manager in California. Um, but he wrote an article, and the, the, the subject, the title of the article is, Should Clients Really Want to Beat the Market? So, Jerry, yeah. what do you think about that? How do you answer <laughs> It's pretty that? interesting. You Everybody know, I mean, wants to win. Let's right, face it, guys. Right. Exactly. I mean, that, that seems like a, a toss-up, right? I mean, that's a, a question everybody would want to, to say absolutely yes to. But, um, well, if, you, yeah, let's, let's face it. If you're investing passively, you will never beat the market. <laughs> that's exactly that's right. Well, you know, and even, even us as investment advisors, we want to beat the market, right? That's sort of sure. how we measure ourselves right, sure. and how we're doing. And so, but what, you know, what kind of question do you need to ask yourself if you want to beat the market? That's right. How much risk am I taking in order to do that? Because, you know, if you're taking on excessive risk in order to achieve that, then you're also jeopardizing this nest egg, most likely, that you've got, and and they're saving for retirement. And so while obviously your objective is to grow that to the best of your ability, if you do so by taking on a lot of risk, you're also putting that at risk. You're, You're jeopardizing that same money that is supposed to last you for that, you know, better part, second half of your life. Yeah, and even even along those same lines, as Troy mentioned earlier, investors in general and human beings in general, I would say, are risk risk averse. Mm-hmm. So, what tends to happen, and and they're also not driven by purely rational decision making. I think we can all agree is, is yeah. right. the financial textbooks may not, but in in practice, human beings make irrational decisions all the Absolutely. time. Absolutely. And so when you're following it, a, a even more, even when we know that there is the possibility mm-hmm. to make an irrational decision, exactly. sure, we're all still so fallible. You can't get over yourself to, yeah. to make the mm-hmm. best decision every time. And as an example of that, you know, when the market falls, you know, uh, the general uh, reaction with, with the irrational reaction is to try to take, so take your money off the table because you don't know, it might be going to zero. Who knows? Right. You panic. Yep. And exactly. and this is even more more uh, magnified, I guess, when you are following a more volatile strategy. So if you're taking on more risk in order to try to achieve a higher rate of return, there's going to be periods when the, your assets fall below what the market is doing right. um, or what a, a, a more conservative strategy would be. And so the tendency in just behavioral finance would be to, to pull some money off the table, if not all of the money. Yeah. And what happens then is that most of the time we found that when the market has a huge decline, soon after that is when you're going to have a huge recovery. Right. And studies have shown that if you miss, you know, the 10 best days in the market, mm-hmm. you can miss out of over, over two-thirds or half of yeah. your, your return just by missing the 10 best days over. That's like a 10-year period, I think. Right, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. That's well, the, even got them, even, they've got studies that show you even over a longer period of time. And to your point, Casey, usually when you have the big downturn, the big in, the big upturn is is usually within a week, within a week or so. Right. I mean, we have huge reversals on a on a daily mm-hmm. basis. So what we generally do, I mean, what do we do? We uh, use ten year rule yeah, exactly to well, keep I, us away from that type of volatility right. and risk. And, and it's to keep people invested 
all the time. Right. That, that served us well through these these prior downturns we've seen in the past 20 years or so, right? I mean, this is a strategy that Dr. Gene employed back in, in, in the late 80s when he started our firm and is something that has now been time-tested and that we still rely on to this day to help offset this concern that, that KC had brought up with, you know, worrying about even having to sell a stock during a downturn. While that might be hard to stomach, if you have no reason to do so and have made a good investment decision based on the research that you or your advisor has done, then there's still some viability to that investment and no reason that you should act rationally in that manner. But, of course, that's very behavioral and not everyone is going to do that. Uh, well, and that's that's one of the arguments for having an advisor in the first place, in my opinion. I mean, a lot of people, could you do this on your own? Sure. I mean, it's not. Right. There's nothing that's overly complicated about you know picking, well, especially in these markets. Right? Yeah, <laughs> right. And I mean, you can even even with a passive strategy, you know, you can easily go out and buy the S and P 500 through an ETF and and just sit on it and and hold it, you know, indefinitely, and and you might be okay. But you got to have some measure in place to keep yourself from making an irrational decision that's going to hurt you yeah, in the long right. run. So, so if, if you had someone say then, okay, you're right, maybe I don't want to beat the market because I don't want to jeopardize my portfolio, but what, are you, what do you mean by risk-adjusted return? What should I do then in order to protect my assets but still achieve a growth rate that's going to be necessary for me to achieve my goals? Yeah, well, the second part of that is, is all really financial planning driven, I mean, in our opinion, because we, we'd like to make sure that you have a plan in place, and, and that will give us some idea of what type of return do you actually need to make sure that your goals are being achieved. Right. And in, in a lot of cases, it's, it's, not, uh, it's, it's a realistic rate of return that you can assume. Mm-hmm. So you don't necessarily have to go out and earn 15% a year. You, know, yeah. you might be able to get, get away with a 6% uh, return. And that's something our plans will tell us, right? Absolutely. And, and, and we don't necessarily want to go chasing a return more than you actually need because of that risk factor. Right. Casey, uh, back to your point about the reason that you need a financial planner. Uh, let me ask you something. I mean, you guys service accounts all the time. Phone rings. Uh, you know, there's there's probably we could go back and look at the statistics. But when does your phone ring most often? When the market is dropping when, like a rock. That's when everybody <laughs> wants to talk to you, right? Yeah. yeah. And so the the point of that is they need a little consolation. They need to know mm-hmm. really what's behind these numbers. What are the fundamentals mm-hmm. show? Yeah. Is the market falling apart for a reason or no reason. There's yeah. a lot of folks that will tell you that the market's rational. Do you guys believe that? Absolutely not. No. Uh, so, it's, you know, we can – it is kind of. There's yeah. a lot of noise. We can go back and look at long-term average. Trends and, and things right. like uh, longer-term Price things. ratios. You could make the argument that it, it, it behaves rationally over a long period of time. But right. in the short run, I mean, you've seen it with the – the election, the day yeah. of the election, is it rational for the market? To, there's no yeah, reason for the market to drop. Huge the night of. To have a 1,200-point swing yeah. in one day. It's the investor that's acting irrationally. Right? Absolutely. As long as we've got human beings that yeah. are driving the stock market, we're going to always have this kind of irrational behavior yeah. by the market itself. It's a factor of humanity. Well, it's just I, the way we act. I would argue that's the reason, the primary reason you would engage an advisor. You, yeah. you want that, you need to remove that emotional attachment that is present because you're managing your own money, presumably, before you were, en- were engaging someone. We're all emotional about our own money. Oh, I mean, absolutely. We've, we've all got advisors here, even though we are right. advisors. Yep. You know, we don't manage our own money because it, it, we don't feel like that's the smartest decision because, I mean, I've got the tendency to pull money off the table when yeah. I see the market falling. And it's hard to watch. Exactly. Yeah, it, it is. is. It's not only hard to watch, but as you said and earlier, it's hard better. to time. Yeah. We, right. we know that, you know, pulling money off the table will 
often make you miss out on on big updates. So again, you know, we kind of hide behind the the ten year rule. If you can, yeah. uh, if you don't need the money, it should probably be invested in equities. We can look at numbers, go back to 1925, and see that over that period of time, in a ten year rolling periods, sure, uh, it, the market average return is about 10.5 percent. It's 10.4, I think, mm. to be more precise. But right. uh, we're talking about a time when we had, what, 29 was the market crash, the Great mm -hmm. Depression. We had yeah. uh, stagflation in the 70s. We've seen uh, the recent downturn. It's all still fresh yeah. in our minds. Yeah. Uh, well, so the market has overcome a lot of things and still has that kind of an average return. Well, I would say this as as an advisor here at Hensler. That is cer certainly something that helps me sleep at night, knowing that I don't have to come in the next day and, and know that the strategy is going to change. It is something that's gotten us through the past 30 years, and it's something that, regardless of the economic environment that is before us or, or coming coming up, yeah. I'm sure that it'll it's absolutely it time tested. And and you know, go ask our clients that have been around since the basement, and they'll tell you. Yep, absolutely. So, guys, uh, last question of the show is always market up or down next week. KC. Let's go up. Uh, the, the, the way market. it's ending this week, i got to say, it's going to pull back a little bit. Wow, that's, that's, uh, well, that's, that's Jeremy McKenzie, Jerry. guys. I'm changing uh, it up. Troy Harmon, the broken record. I'm always going to tell you that the market's going up. <laughs> Statistics tell me that. Come on, guys. <laughs>